Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Now I am pleased to introduce to you Haj Hassani Rajabali. He is one of the most popular and inspiring Muslim speakers in the English speaking community worldwide. For many of you, he needs no introduction. And as you know, he's based in Dearborn, Michigan at this time, but he travels worldwide and gains many frequent flyer miles to speak to audiences all over, from Australia to the UK to all parts of North America. He was a graduate of the University of Colorado with a degree in molecular biology and a degree in psychology. And then he worked for many years successfully in the IT world. In fact, I probably still has it on the side, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a man of many talents, but his gift is his eloquence and his ability to convey the message of Islam to the youth in particular, but to people of all ages, so that they can understand this faith, they can stand firmly in it with a strong identity and really become somebody worthwhile for not only their community, but the world at large. Today he's the principal, or actually in the past he was the principal of Tawheed Institute, which was in New York. And then he's currently the director and the head of Camp Taha, which is the world's first Muslim-owned camp and is located in Columbiaville, Michigan. And there he strives for opportunities to advance the Muslim youth, not just giving them knowledge, but giving them opportunities, giving them a place to be free, giving them a place to enrich their mind, their body, and their spirit. And many young people can't wait for the day that Camp Taha opens. And it really is life-changing for a lot of these young people. And one of the things he's known for is his late-night talks. Late-night into the next morning such that the service crew who's providing breakfast become agitated because none of the youth are waking up for breakfast on time. And I've seen this firsthand. But what he's so good at is finding practical solutions, creating opportunities for real action for the sake of our young Muslims now, not just rhetoric. And he's really furthered this commitment by establishing several branches of Wise Learning worldwide. And that organization, Wise Learning, is an aftercare or after-school program that provides students a competitive advantage as they rise towards excellence, nurturing positive attitudes and holistic success, and really, again, consolidating their Islamic identity in a healthy and real way. Ultimately, the students who have an opportunity to benefit from his work at these Wise Learning uh, programs, and also Wise Academy, which is now a full-time school, is that they really have the opportunity to develop creativity, to think independently, and to adapt proactively. And if you ever listen to his lectures, you'll know that's one of the words he loves, proactive, along with the word rational, his special touch. <laughs> so we are really pleased to see the progress he's made over the years to develop the youth of the Muslim community, to provide these venues and these forums so that they can grow with confidence, with knowledge, with understanding, and really be contributors to society at large. Honestly, I have to tell you that his lectures have been profound in my development as a Muslim as well. In 2007, I heard him speak for the first time. And I kid you not, it was like he took a sword of clarity and cut through every ounce of confusion that was in my mind and establish my identity as a Muslim even more firmly, and especially on the love of the Ahlul Bayt. And of 
course, if you've listened to his lectures, you've had to have a dictionary by your side because he uses high-level vocabulary. And I love that because that we need to have that richness in our understanding. We need to have that eloquence. And indeed, he is one of the most eloquent orators in the Muslim world today. And we are honored to have him speak to us here today. Please welcome him with the loudest of The beneficent, the merciful, and all praise belongs to Allah for granting us this life and giving us the opportunity to represent Him on this earth as moral, upright individuals. Because Allah in the Quran says, "Kuntum khayra ummati mukhlidun bil nas, ta'muruna bil ma'roof, wadanuna anil munkar, wadu'minuna billah." You are the best in the community. You promote good. You forbid evil, and you believe in God. And our obligation as a human race to be placed on this earth as a creation chosen by God to represent Him on the moral front. Because the moral argument is the most critical argument possible as to the purpose and reason for why we exist. Without the purposeful nature of life, you'll notice that when someone says, Life has no purpose. That's actually a paradoxical statement because if it had no purpose, why say it? So you notice that there's an intrinsic nature of purpose. And the greatest purpose, of course, is for us to be moral individuals. It's not about material acquisitions. It's not about beauty and strength. The strength of our entire purpose is in your moral uprightness. Because at the end of the day, that's what counts. The Holy Quran is a prescription cover to cover in guiding us on how to be morally upright. <clears throat> this Quran guides to that which is most upright. So give the good news to the good doers that they will have a great reward. But our obligation is to be morally upright, therefore we promote good and we forbid evil. This gathering tonight is to commemorate the greatest human being that ever walked this earth. Allah says in the Quran, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed, O Prophet, you have the best moral character. خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ There is nobody with greater moral conduct than the Holy Prophet And if I were the devil, but if I were, who would I attack? I would attack the ultimate role model that brings about moral uprightness. It's an interesting truth in the Quran that the most profound story that Allah repeats often is the creation of Adam 
and the recalcitrance, the rejection of Iblis to submit to the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due to his arrogance. Allah subhanahu wa he was among the rejectors. What is fascinating about that reality is that the arrogance that was pervasive in Iblis continues to perpetuate within our human race. And my respected Zayd, Imam Zayd Shaka mentioned eloquently that we are plagued with this racist mentality that today, if you see a race that has suffered the most, it's our black community race in the world. Nobody has been meted out with so much injustice in this race. And it makes me wonder when Adam was created with black mud, and Shaitan says, this is the creature that has brought me down, and I have a vengeance upon him. Whereas Allah says in the Quran, أَلَمْ أَحْرِ لَيْكُمْ يَا بَنِي آدَمَ أَنْ لَا تَعْبُدُ الشَّيْطَانِ إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌّ مُبِينٌ did we not give you this warning on mankind that do not follow the pathway of shaitan? He is your arch enemy. Today the world is riddled with all kinds of divisiveness. We are so divided as a community, even within our communities. But when you look, for example, that when this particular race gets killed, you know, no one cares. A million people in Rwanda were massacred. No one rose. No one cares because they're black. A dozen people were killed in France with this support of Charlie Hebdo, a red flag that was created specifically to try to obfuscate the truth, to try to take us away from the truth. Suddenly you have all the global leaders standing on this is Shazam. What is this? Is this the pervasiveness of media today that has created a one-sided animal against us? To pit us like the Roman Empire, divide and conquer the British Empire, rule the world with this principle, and today the hegemony of the superpowers is the same principle, divide us, divide the Sunni and the Shia, let them kill each other. I was interviewed once in Maryland and they said, yeah, we have invaded Iraq to keep peace between the Sunni and the Shia. I said, excuse me, where have you been for 1400 years? We don't need you to come and create controlled chaos with this excuse that you need to take us over so that you can manage us because we're so immature. I take umbrage to that. We are a human race. Islam is a great religion. It's a religion that is on the trajectory of growth faster than any religion in the world. Go to the World Book of the World Almanac and see. 1934 to 1984, Islam grew 234%. The human race, by birth rate, grew 136%. This trajectory is monitored by statisticians, and that fear of the growth of Islam is precisely the political maneuverings today to try to slow it down. And the more they try to slow it down, the more Islam grows. Because Allah says, They plan, God plans. He's the best of planners. And today when we examine how media is trying to demonize Islam. Let's put some statistical and reality facts forward so we understand. Islam is the only religion named properly on earth among all religions. All religions are named after persons and objects. Islam is the only religion that's a verb and a noun which means peace and submission. It's an irony that we live in a world today where Islam is associated with terrorism when the very name of the religion means peace. We're not Mohammedans. You find the Orientalists used to write 
about us and they would call us Muhammadans. The Orientals used to call us Muhammadans. We never called ourselves Muhammadans. God has never called us Muhammadans. We do not worship Muhammad We recognize him as the ultimate role model of God on earth who represents the entire prophethood of 124,000 prophets. And he is the ultimate role model to come and teach us the do's and don'ts of how for us to be moral individuals. Because the very nomenclature of religious systems today has failed that a religion whose Quran the Qur'an is the only book revealed unto mankind divinely where God is the exclusive author cover to cover. Not even the Holy Prophet, who is the most important person. As Allah says in the Qur'an, The Prophet has greater right on the believers and the believers have on themselves. This messenger is not allowed to speak in the Qur'an. Only God speaks and only God tells him what to do. It's the only book on earth cover to cover where God speaks exclusively to us. And it is the only book on earth, spiritual book, guidance where the word sword does not exist in it. It's an irony that when I was growing up in this country, right here in New York, where my teacher in seventh grade told me Islam is a religion of violence and it was spread with the sword. I took umbrage to and I said, excuse me, I never heard of it. He says, your prophet used to go behead people door to door. I said, who said this? This is way before 9-11. So these poison pills have been placed within academia also to try to take us away and to have this distaste for Islam. And media takes it head on. When I was interviewed after 9-11 with NBC, she says, well, what do you think of bin Laden as, as a Muslim terrorist? I said, why did you make him a Muslim terrorist? Why don't you just call him a terrorist? Why don't you call him a cult leader? She says, well, because he was reading the Quran. I said, it's interesting, David Koresh in Waco, Texas was reading the Bible cover to cover. You never called him a Christian terrorist, and rightfully so, you should not call him a Christian terrorist. So why is it this one, you take an entire religion and you attach it to one man as if he is the representative of God? Isn't this a bit myopic on your side? Is this not? This is very, what we call very immature and premature, which leads to all kinds of deaths. That when we see this death, the, the killing machine that's taking place today, and those three lovely souls that were killed in North Carolina, is the, is the product of this misinformation, disinformation that media takes, should take full responsibility for, where they take an entire religion of the world. And we see only the woman who interviewed me, she said, oh, no one ever told me this before. I mean, it's amazing how they blurt out everything because demonize Islam. Demonize it. Interesting though, that when we come forward and we say, no, the religion of God is universal. Our Christian brethren, our Jewish brethren, even atheists, our brethren in humanity. Right? Imam Islam gives the a guidance to Malik al-Ashtar when he's the governor of Egypt. He says, when you become the governor of Egypt, understand that your subordinates are either your brethren in faith or they're your brethren in humanity. And Allah Taala mentions this unequivocally in the Quran from cover to cover about how the human race is one. That even defense, when the Holy Prophet was not allowed to lift his finger, 13 years in Mecca, yet when he came to Medina, when the enemy started to attack him, Allah says, retaliation is allowed for you on the condition that they attack you. Defense, self-defense, all nations have a defense fund, nobody has an offense fund. It's offensive. 
to have an offense on. But defense is natural. It's our right to defend ourselves. Allah in the Quran in Surah Al-Hajj, Allah says that were it not be for you to rise and defend the churches, the synagogues, and the mosques where God is remembered often would have been brought down. This is mentioned in the Quran. The beauty of Islam growing up as a Muslim is this universality. Allah says, Don't worry. You believe, as long as you believe in one God, all you believers, Christians, Jews, Jews, Christians, Saviors, you believe in one God, they will judgment and do good deeds, for you there is no fear. In other words, there is a universal principle that is even being addressed to the Muslims, that you Muslims, when you say, Ya yuladina amun, Allah says, Aminu billah. Or you believe, believe in Allah. Because Allah is the ultimate role model, guidance system of all good. When people ask me, why do you believe in God? I said, I need to be a moral individual. Where is my template going? And what is it for? If there is no God, there is no moral responsibility, there is no liability, there is no oversight, there is no judgment. Yet we know every civil society needs oversight, needs to hold its citizens liable. And every citizen is innocent and temporal and guilty. Allah says in the Quran, Allah says, say to my believers who have gone astray, don't lose hope in the mercy of God. This principle is universal with Ibrahim, with Musa, with Isa. Jesus was walking around forgiving mankind and said, I forgive you. Don't lose hope. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, lest your deeds exceed those of the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of thy father. True statement of Isa, peace be upon him. What does it mean? Action orientation, promotion of good, forbiddance of evil. By whose template? By the template of God. Through whose role modelship? Through his prophetic mission. To make this clear, Islamophobia, which is very prevalent today, understanding this terminology. Gallup has done a very nice research on this. If you go to gallup.com, you can actually download this study on Islamophobia, they define it, an irrational fear of something. And this new word called Islamophobia now has been coined, where now this is irrational fear. Why is it irrational fear? Because when media demonizes a system of the unknown, and they associate every potential negative against Islam, to try to demonize Islam, people develop this irrational fear. How do we as Muslims alleviate? How do we counter this madness? By us being rational, by us being reasonable, by us not being condescending. Allah says, Invite the people to the way of your Lord with kind exhortation and with wisdom. Wisdom and kind exhortation. And when you use argumentation, you use good argumentation. Not ad hominems, not condemnations of people going to hell. Oh, you're not a Muslim, you're a Kafir, you're going to hell. This is not the jurisdiction of mankind. Ten times as Muslims, if we pray, we say, God is the master of the day of judgment. You and I are not masters of the day of judgment. Who authorized us to send anyone to hell? Subhanallah.
I challenge him, he says, bring the books. I brought the books. Sir John Glove, Sir William Muir, showing how peaceful the Holy Prophet was. Sister Nicole mentioned elegantly about how the messenger, peace be upon him, forgave the people of Mecca. One time I was online and I met a 17-year-old boy and he was proclaiming Islam. So I said to him, you're 17, how did you become a Muslim? He said, my parents were atheists, are atheists. I was an atheist. One day I was sitting and reading about this man called Muhammad who was persecuted for 13 years. And when he left, he came back and reclaimed it. He was so gentle, he forgave mankind. I was touched by this mercy. An atheist child in America is touched by the incredible mercy of this man who was not vindictive, who did not want to reciprocate the animosity, but rather he said, I forgive you. He said, I was so touched by that, I delved into this religion and I found its beauty in every human Muslim. 17-year-old boy. That's the power of mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah is reminding us, know that the Prophet is among you. I am addressing this to the Muslim Ummah, because the religion of Allah is my respected Muslim. You mentioned beautifully. It's not Sunni or Shia. In the deen and Allah Islam. The religion to Allah is Al-Islam. That's the religion. But when we look at our Christian brethren, Reverend Jibril, right? Eloquence, speaking with her heart. The Quran speaks about persons like her. That among the people of Ahlul Kitab, they resonate with the message of God. Because what's the object? Is it for us to hold titles on Judgment Day? Or is it the sincerity of Allah Salim. On that day, your wealth or your family will help you, except hearts which are tranquil. How do we become tranquil in our hearts? We make a concerted efforts to find the truth. Because Allah says, Truth is prevalent and falsehood is ever vanishing. And Allah created the universe in truth. And our objective, regardless of what faith we belong to, is for us to hold hands together and to move towards the approach of truth, the uncovering of truth, because the enemy is constantly working to cover it. That's our obligation. As a Muslim ummah, we need to unite. Between Sunni and Shia, I must say, it's interesting how much emphasis we placed after the messenger. True, it is important. But what of the messenger then? Why have we forgotten him? I honestly say between both the school groups, let us focus on the Holy Prophet He is the galvanizing agency. A quick example, the tribe of Aws and Khazraj were butchering each other in Medina. The two tribes that were managed by the Bani Israelis, what's different than today? It's amazing. Go back 14 centuries and see the Bani Israelis who were in Medina were managing the Arab affairs through divide and conquer. What's different today? With due respect. You find what brought harmony and success for the Muslim Ummah, which made them the Ansar and the Muhajir. And Allah al The foremost are the Muhajir and the Ansar. Who are these people? 
they united around the Messenger He was the galvanizing agency which brought them so united that Allah said, This Hablillah, without a doubt, is the Holy Prophet in the Quran and his family. should ask, what does my Prophet want? We will love only what he loves, and we will dislike what he dislikes. The central axis of the Qur'an, you notice, is precisely the Prophet. Why does Allah not mention any of the companions' names, except Zayd ibn Harith, and even he was mentioned strategically for a, for a practical reason, otherwise he wouldn't have been mentioned in the Qur'an. Why not mention the names? Why not mention the names of successors? Allah says at the end of the day, your obligation is to go back to Allah and Rasulullah. Indeed, the believers are those who believe in Allah and the Messenger, then they don't doubt and they struggle with themselves and their wealth for the cause of Allah. These are the truthful moments. When we do jihad al Akbar, this term jihad, so misused in media, isn't it? They love to create this monstrosity in us to think that when we say jihad, we are still saying somehow sword-wielding creatures that are beheading people. And that's the furthest from the truth. And I'll quote one, one or two writers with regards to this. But before I go there, we find Allah subhanahu ta'ala is saying, وَجَاهَدُ بِأَمْوَالِهِ there are two kinds of jihad. There's jihad al-akbar and jihad al-asbar. We all know that. The greater and the lesser. The lesser kills a kafir. So when a kafir attacks you and you defend yourself, and you guard yourself against tyranny, you fight to defend, you kill a kafir. But when you do jihad al-akbar, you kill kufr. And kufr is the root of where the kafir comes from. So when you and I introspect, alaykum anfusakum, when we look deep in ourselves, the gift Allah has given us to be His representatives on earth, and for us to be morally upright, that jihad will kill the kafir. Not with a sword, but with us being upright, with us loving each other, with us having mercy as has been mentioned here, with us showing love and compassion. But how? Allah in the Quran says, قُلْ قُلْ In Surah Al-Imran, إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ Say, O Messenger, tell them, you claim to love God? إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي Then follow me. يُحْبِكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ Then God will love you and protect and forgive you from your sins. So the object is Rasulullah. We come together and hold on firm in our Prophet. When we say we love Ahlul Bayt, we love Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib, it's because he told us how to go back to the Prophet. He taught us how to obey the Prophet. He is the guardian. Prophet says, Ana Madinatul Ilm wa Aliyun Baabuha. Woman Aradil Ali Madina Kaliatihabiya. This Baab, the function of this Baab is to bring us to the Madina. It's the Medina that's important. When we commemorate Rasulullah, my brothers and sisters, I say the whole Muslim Ummah, the five major schools of thought, if we simply focus on Rasulullah, we will destroy the enemies from divisiveness. And you notice the Aus al-Hazraj tribe united as the Ansar group, which became an indomitable group that protected the messenger to such degree that the messenger made in Medina to Munawwara. He came to Medina, he says, this is my city. He even died there. That's the, what we need to do as Muslims.
point I want to make, my brothers and sisters, and without a doubt, never the promotion of harm whatsoever, not even an insult. But I want to give a quick example and I will end to show you the death of the Quran is a book of the highest moral standard when it comes to how we deal with those who are the enemies of God. The Quran is not a story book. It has stories. It's not a science book. It has science. It's not a book of prophecies. It has prophecies. It's a book of morals. So let us examine. Musa, peace be upon him, a great prophet, Moses, accepted by all the Abrahamic faiths, a great man, who was the recipient of a scripture called Torah, the Torah, the Old Testament, as our Christian brethren would use, and our Jewish brethren would use. His brother Harun was also a prophet. These were both prophets. Now notice, God is commanding Musa in the 20th chapter, Surah Taha, Surah Taha, go, idhab ila fir'aun, innahu tabara. I want you to understand, there was no worse creature on earth in that time than Fir'aun. He was a mass murderer. He was the most arrogant person on earth. And that's why Allah uses him as a role model of what not to be. Innahu He has exceeded his bound. Allah, when he commands Musa to go with his brother, it's fascinating. A prophet who has nine signs and he can destroy and pulverize Quran with one stroke of dua. Maybe that stick could have become the stake and he would have crawled up Quran's neck and snapped it. But no. There is no jurisdiction within Islam with any form of impunity, one could say, where an individual, even a prophet, has been authorized to go out there and indiscriminately kill in the name of God to bring justice on earth. Those who hold guns today, Isis, you know Isis? It's a funny name. It's the name of an Egyptian goddess. Which Muslim group dares to put the name of an Egyptian pagan goddess? Isis. Funny. It's an amazing Trojan horse that has come within Islam. It has become a stooge. It has become what we call the foot soldiers of the conglomerate nations that want to conquer our wealth and want to silence us from rising against their hegemony. Interesting. Huh? You find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to Musa when you go, when you speak to him, okay, speak to Fir'aun with a soft tongue. So maybe you will incite in him reflection. You see? Of fear. God didn't say smite him, strike him, beat him, cut him, behead him like they do today. These are the antithesis of Islam. And if I were the devil, this is what I'd be doing. I will first demonize the prophet like Charlie Hebdo. Charlie Hebdo fired a man because he made one little derogatory comment against the Zionists. And they fired him. Nobody says you speak Charlie. But because Charlie Hebdo was a bankrupt, defunct institution that was not, did not have enough viewers, that they used this as a red flag to demonize Islam, we as Muslims should be rising and saying, what is this injustice against us? But it fascinates me that the enemy hasn't, is not getting sleep at night. 
that they are manufacturing these things. That means at the very core level of the geopolitical world, the Muslim power is growing, and Allah promises, It is our desire, or you oppress, that you will be the successes. It's even in the Bible, it says, the meek shall inherit the earth, because that's the design and the plan of God. So even here you notice the prophet is not allowed to even smite. God says, speak to him with a kind word. Even when the prophet was asked to bring the Christians, Come, O people of the book, let us have a dialogue that we worship none other than one God. Allah in this verse says, and if they refuse, then tell them that we bear witness, we are Muslims. Where did God say they refuse? Grab them and kill them. Where did God say that they're kafir and kill them? Where? Allah says, لا إكراه في الدين There is no compulsion in religion. التبين الرشد من الغيب Truth is clear from error. So we have an obligation, my brothers and sisters, that every one of us here must bring unity. Do not allow disunity between our communities, especially between the Sunni and the Shia community, because we are all Muslims in the eyes of Allah. At the end of the day, when we speak with our Christian brothers and Jews, even the atheists, as long as we are moral individuals promoting peace and harmony on earth, it is our right to be united as a body to represent the ultimate goodness of humanity. For that is the idea of God's creation. You notice no two human beings, even identical twins, agree on everything. Genetically identical, they don't agree on everything. So what now? We bash each other because we don't agree? No. The object of life is to agree to disagree agreeably. Otherwise, we're losers. Salat ala Muhammad wa rahmatullah.